Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back to, to the, the Going Going Gooner podcast. We ain't apologizing for nothing today. The, the plain and simple truth is that we suck. So clearly, Alvin listened to the episodes. No, he did. I have no doubt. What makes you think more instability is what this club needs right now? Most likely will make one of the best Netflix documentaries since Firefest. The Going Going Gooner podcast is brought to you by your party station, Z89. Welcome back to the Going Going Gooner podcast. This is episode 60, part two. It's a special one for you this week. And uh, before we get started, be sure to follow us on Twitter at ggoonerpod. And as always, this podcast is brought to you by your party station, Z89. I'm your co-host, Arjun, joined by Kyle. But we are also joined by a special guest to break down everything transfer news and everything North London Derby. We are joined by Anthony DeBundo. Anthony, introduce yourself. Thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, first time on the pod. Syracuse grad. Uh, had some experiences at the, uh, your party station, Z89. Uh, but uh, I work for the Action Network. I write about soccer. I have a podcast about soccer myself, mostly centered around betting. Uh, and I am a Tottenham fan. So, uh, you know, a little bit of an enemy rivalry going this week. I only hate Arsenal every week of the year. So uh, this week, especially. Only every week of the year. Not too bad. Uh, and we will get started with a little bit of transfer news uh, for all your listeners out there. Cause obviously transfer window is in full swing right now. We went to transfer window um, and we're going to break down a few of the big moves that have happened. Plus some ones we want to happen or enjoy to see how they work out. So we will start with kind of the major one. Uh, I think everyone knows about, which is Ferran Torres who was announced before the window began uh, as a Barcelona player transferring from Man City for uh, around 45 to 55 million uh, euros, I believe. And that transfer went down and it could not be finalized until Samuel Titi's contract was cut in half, essentially, from Barcelona, along with uh, Philippe Coutinho leaving uh, on loan, plus some other moves happening for Barcelona to get some money. Because as we know, they have some money problems. Um, so I'll start with you, Arjun. Ferran Torres, talk to me here. What are we thinking about this? I love this move for Barcelona. I think I think Ferran Torres is a is a player with a lot of potential. We saw it at City. He um, he was putting in great performances um, for City, playing up top. Um, and I think this is a good move for Barcelona. And I'm not sure about it from the City perspective because obviously we know they're gonna they're gonna drop money on a number nine. It's it's the it's the position they need the most. Um, and obviously the names that have been thrown out this summer, last summer were Kane, um, Holland in the mix as well, along with Real Madrid. But I think uh, overall, th- this makes a lot of sense. And um, for Xavi to sort of start his rebuild with um, with a player of Ferran Torres' capabilities, he's obviously starting in El Clasico, which is going on right now in the, in the semifinal of the Spanish Super Cup. So um, I think it's, I think Ferran Torres is a player that can that can bring a lot to Barcelona, especially in in their new era without Messi. Uh, so I'm excited to see how that how that pans out. Yeah, I mean, you said it, um, Anthony. What are your thoughts on it? I know um, he obviously was at City. He terrorized us uh, on a daily basis, uh, City and Arsenal, um, or Spurs and Arsenal. So give me your thoughts, feelings on the move, and 
does this kind of push Barcelona towards a direction of getting out the old and in with the new? Because obviously the old is Gerard Piquet, Martin Braithwaite, Luke de Jong. Uh, it's a bit of a weird one right now, Barca. Yeah, financial fair play, again, is a myth. Uh, but I think the more interesting angle here is the city angle and that he really didn't work out in the end because it felt like Torres was the striker. He was going to be sort of the nine, and he was pretty good at it. Uh, at least early in the season and, and performing in that role. But he fits that that mold of, of City player who I thought would would excel under Guardiola, very technically skilled, uh, good at making runs into the box, had decent shot profile for a guy who's not a, a true striker. Uh, but he kind of fell out amongst the wave of other players like the Phil Fodens and the Jack Grealishes and the Riyad Mahrez's of the world who do all those things and I guess were preferred by Pep. Uh, so it's good for him to land on his feet at another club where he's going to get a lot of minutes. Barca's had a lot of injury issues. They've had some bad luck. They've had some finishing issues. They're not nearly as bad as the narrative is on them right now, both as a club financially and as a team that's on the field every week now. So I think there's some, you know, good signs for our, uh, for Barcelona coming up, but I'm not totally sold that he moves the needle that much for them although we will see how he adapts to playing in Spain again. So uh, we'll see how it goes, but I'm not totally sold as a a, a needle mover. I think Barcelona's future still lies in guys like Pedri and Gavi and Memphis Depay continuing to be an elite forward uh, and and Dembele staying healthy more so than Torres. But I do think, you know, given their issues right now with goals, it can't hurt to have him in the lineup. It can't hurt. And I also think it just helps kind of put – Javi's stamp at least on the club as you said with all the youngsters Gavi Pedri Ansu Fati obviously it helps give more youth to the squad because that was kind of the problem towards the end of the last couple years that we saw with Messi there PK Busquets Jordi Alba they're just not cut out for it anymore Um, they're not the best players at their positions anymore in the world uh, Danny Alves is now back at the club, which still makes no sense to me how he's a still playing and B why they would bring him back outside of just being a, a leader in the locker room. Um, but we'll have to see on kind of all of that. Um, I just think it helps at least get his stamp on the club. Be like, I want this guy. He's here. Coutinho's on loan. We might talk about him later. Uh, obviously Luke de Jong is probably gone. Uh, and, a whole host of other guys who need to go out the window for Barcelona to have literally any money in the bank uh, at this point. Um, And I know Arjun, the next guy I want to talk about is a personal favorite of yours. So I will leave this up to you. Yeah, we've, we talked about this last week on the podcast when the transfer was completed, but this is a transfer that is near near and dear to my heart. Um, Ricardo Pepe to FC Augsburg from FC Dallas, Um, obviously from Dallas um, I've seen Pepe play. I've seen him rise up through the ranks um, through um, FC Dallas's USL affiliate, uh, North Texas SC, and I've seen him become America's striker at 18 years old. So um, him going abroad, I think, was absolutely the right move. FC Dallas got a nice chunk of money for him. Um, and for the future of the U.S. men's national team, there's this transfer. There's also Daryl DK heading to West Brom. Um, but I'm, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on Ricardo Pepe and where this transfer, um, can go. We'll start with you, Anthony. You know, it's, it's a big question mark for me. I think, uh, his shot numbers are not that of someone who's going to walk into a Bundesliga team and 
all of a sudden become a goal scorer. Now I get it from an Augsburg point of view. Uh, you're getting a young American who in theory, if he grows into what he could be, would be a good, good, you know, sell on piece, a player can develop, who's going to make you know a lot of money for your club. And he's obviously got the appeal that an American does bring attention to your club, but right now they're in a relegation battle uh, and they have you know, their leading goal scorer this year, three goals. So I understand why they're making the move. Um, I understand completely why, uh, but I'm not sure Pepe and his, you know, two and a half shots a game in the MLS are going to transfer at his young age into the Bundesliga. We will see. Uh, and I'm interested for sure. I'll be watching. I know he came off the bench uh, last weekend against Hoffenheim. Didn't do a ton, uh, but I I'm not sold on him at the current moment being an out and out Bundesliga striker, given his, his development. I don't think he'll ever be the complete striker that people thought he might be. I just think he, at least, as you said, they, their best goal scorer has three goals this season. Um, Niederlechner, Fing Bogusen, obviously he's hurt. Um, the two of them, they're not goal threats. Uh, at least Pepe gives you something else up front. He gives you some possibility of goals, even if he gets like a half dozen to a dozen of goals for the rest of the season, at least some improvement for them as that they're in a relegation battle in the Bundesliga. So maybe he starts firing. And as you said, it also was a very good move financially because all of a sudden you have eyes from the Americans. And I know uh, you can watch the Bundesliga on ESPN plus, I believe. So then all of a sudden that gets them more subscriptions. It helps with the money in that deal uh, with the Bundesliga and America. So may as well do it. And as you said, if he pans out and they sell him on later, that's honestly never a bad thing. If he pans out like Pulisic, you make 40, 50 million. You can, over double what you sold him for or bought him for. That's not bad. And yeah, you know, it's the rich history of, of Americans in the Bundesliga continuing that trend. Uh, there's a bunch of guys there now and guys who have moved on from there, but you know, you think of the Gio Reynas and the, to a lesser extent, the Josh Sargents and the, the uh, you know, guys like that who have had varying levels of success. Uh, John Brooks, of course, at Wolfsburg, they're a mess, but he has been consistently one of the better center backs in the league for a while now. Uh, so it, it'll be interesting. Uh, I'm excited to watch it and see what happens. I'll be tracking his numbers, but uh, I think it could be a step too far, but we'll see. Yeah. And I, he just turned 19 um, three days ago. So, I mean, he, he's a very young player. He's um, from what I, from what I saw of him at FC Dallas, watching him play in the MLS, he's um, hold up plays one place where he, he excels really, really well. Um, and like you said, he's not a big shot creator, but he is really efficient. He, he finishes his chances. Um, and we saw it in, uh, uh, when he played for the U S men's national team too, you know, his first appearance, he, he bagged a goal, a big goal too. And, um, I think that's what he can bring. And that is what I wonder, is it a little bit of a step too far? Um, I, I would have liked to see him maybe go to somewhere like Venezia, um, who have also signed their fair few of, um, U.S. men's national team players. Um, I'm not sure what the fit would have been like in Serie A versus Bundesliga, but I think signing for for them over um, for Augsburg over a team, I think Wolfsburg were also in for him as well. So um, I think it's a good move, but obviously I, I have really high expectations for, for Ricardo Pepe just based on what I've seen from him. And I think if he can continue to develop He's grown so fast as a player um, that I think this could be the right place for him 
to, to keep doing that. And especially if he continues to get uh, call-ups and, and continue to play up top for, um, for the U.S., um, I think that'll be a big help for his career progression. Yeah, it could honestly never hurt. Um, and I'll throw it to you, Anthony. What's another big transfer that you're looking at? You're like, okay, interesting. Obviously, Ferran Torres, the big money move of the window. There's a few other ones around there. Uh, give me one that you're most interested in and also you think could swing the needle for one team uh, either way. There's a couple guys. One is, is Dusan Blahovic, who's at Fiorentina. He's been linked to Arsenal. Uh, he's been linked in the past to Spurs, although it doesn't appear that Spurs are in for him this window. Uh, he's a good striker in Syria who is going to command a huge fee. Upwards of 75 million has been reported. There are some red flags with Vlahovic in his numbers in Italy this year. Struggled against good competition, kind of beat up on the bad teams, relied on penalties, also in a good finishing run. His XG is not quite as impressive as maybe the top line goal number suggests. Uh, but that's one who, you know, if a team like Arsenal got him, that would be a definite improvement over, you know, Lacazette or Aubameyang, who, who knows if he'll ever play for Arsenal again. Uh, and so those two would be, you know, considerably worse than what Vlahovic would bring. And the other one is Dennis Zakaria, who could leave Godbach on a free from Germany at the end of the year. But there are clubs who are circling and interested in him. He had a bad knee injury a couple of years, a year and a half ago, that probably cost him a shot at a move last summer. And then he had a bit of a down year, but he's played relatively well. Uh, Godbach's been a, a bit of a mess as well. But uh, in terms of his ability to carry the ball, to win the ball uh, as a midfielder, very valuable. And a lot of these teams that have midfield shortages, say Liverpool, Manchester City could always use another midfielder. Maybe uh, even Arsenal, I think have been linked to him in the past. So, you know, those kind of clubs that are in for him could make a, uh, a big splash and add important depth ahead of a busy spring. And I think the, the, uh, the Vlahovic transfer is, you know, something that we've been monitoring. Um, but also just to get into a little bit of Arsenal discussion, um, you know, if, if that doesn't pan out, whether it's due to very high fees, which I think Arsenal are very much willing to pay, or if it's um, uh, due to Vlahovic's, maybe he's not super interested in coming to Arsenal. Those have been the reports. Um, there have been some conflicting reports over whether he wants to or whether he doesn't want to, whether money could convince him, et cetera, et cetera. Other names that have been thrown out for Arsenal, Alexander Izak and Dominic Calvert-Lewin, as along with uh, Jonathan David. Um, out of those, I honestly, uh, Izak is, is a guy that I watched the Euros, and he, he is someone that could bring exactly what the Arsenal system needs. Same with Vlahovic, I think. I think his, um, his hold-up play is something that I, was, um, that I was impressed by because that's what we rely on Lacazette for. And Lacazette does it pretty well, but he's a smaller guy, um, but he's able to, to, to be a little more deep lying and, and get the passes out wide to Saka, Martinelli, Smith Rowe, whoever it is, which is what our, our attack hinges on. But the difference is Lovic is 6'3", and he provides a target man in there that Arsenal haven't had since Olivier Giroud. So when you have guys like Kieran Tierney delivering the ball in the box, Bukayo Saka, who's also able to do that, I think um, having a guy like him could, could really benefit the Arsenal attack. Honestly, having any striker would benefit the Arsenal attack at this point. I would take anybody. I would even take Giroud back if he was a possibility. Just 
I mean, we saw it in the FA Cup with Ekesia. He's not good enough. Balogun, we just loaned out to uh, Middlesbrough for the next six months. As Anthony said, Aubameyang may never play for us again. And Lacazette is out of contract in the summer. So we literally will have zero attackers at that point. Because Ekesia, I don't count as a player for us. We need to sell him, get anything we can for him, because it's better than nothing. Um, and I'm just looking at that front line. And as you said, Isak, Calvert-Lewin, David, Vlahovic, any of them would be good. Even Jonathan David would be lovely to have. Uh, I'm personally a big fan of him. Uh, I love him. That would be good. Um, one transfer that I'm kind of looking at as a possibility alongside Vlahovic, obviously in a different realm because there's only so many teams linked to this guy, is Karam Um, someone I have been watching a lot recently. He is so, so, so good um, up front for Leipzig. Uh, in the Bundesliga, he or no, he's still at Salzburg. My bad. Uh, he is just dynamite um, up front. He is the next guy who was after Holland at Salzburg. They were like, he's the next young star striker up front. Uh, his expected goals isn't great, but he is talented. He is youthful. He is uh, just about 20. His birthday is in a few days, actually. Um, He's one I'm interested to see happen because obviously if Erling Holland moves, Karma Diemi has been linked to Bruce Dortmund as that. It feels like it's almost a done deal that he's going to go there if Holland leaves. And it makes sense from a Dortmund perspective. You have a Holland-sized hole. Fill it with the next guy who's being considered the next one after Holland. May as well go with Adeyemi. Um, but I'm looking at that as someone who's just so talented. And obviously, also he's German and a striker. Germany and strikers have been a weird thing in the last decade or so. Obviously, Timo Werner's good, but man, he just misses everything. Uh, I would love to see Adeyemi uh, and that move. Um, and I want both of your thoughts on kind of what that could do. You mentioned it. I mean, Germany has had a striker problem since uh, really since Kloza retired. Uh, and he solves that. He's the next guy who's expected to take that step forward and solve their issue. They have a lot of tweeners, the Havertzes, the Mullers, the Verners of the world who maybe aren't elite enough uh, on that striker level, but can be good enough as wide forwards maybe or, or as midfielders slash forwards, uh, sort of a number 10, sort of a second nine, but not a true out and out striker. That's what Eddie Emmy is. Uh, very impressive in the Champions League from him, I thought. I uh, do not watch a ton of Austrian uh, soccer, but I do uh, get to watch them in the Champions League. And we'll, we'll see them, of course, in the knockout stage for the first time. Uh, but the, the buzz is real. The hype is real. Uh, I think Dortmund is the natural progression for him, like you mentioned. Also could be Leipzig, but I, I don't really see that with Silva there. And so the uh, So, yeah, Dortmund could be the, the next move. And I'm interested to see. I, I'm guessing that's going to be more of a summer thing. Uh, but uh, if Holland moves on, which it looks like he will, uh, and then... Adeyemi fills that spot. It will be certainly a, an upgrade uh, in terms of over Danielle Malin uh, for, for Dortmund. So uh, that's that's what they're looking at. Yeah, and, and you said it. I mean, I was going to bring up his Champions League numbers, four goals in eight matches in not an easy group at all. Um, so he was very impressive from, from what I saw. And obviously, you know, don't watch much Austrian Bundesliga, so – um, my evaluation on him, on him is a little incomplete, but I think, um, you know, he's got three Germany caps already scored one goal against Armenia. So he is certainly already in their plans and it would be nice to see him make that step forward. 
um, especially with um, Holland outgoing as well. Yeah, and with Holland going out, which I honestly, I think we can all agree that's not happening in this window unless the team throws an exorbitant fee at it because obviously over the summer, his transfer fee, um, he does actually have uh, a buyout at that point that someone could give. Um, but at the moment, I don't see Holland leaving unless it's, unless someone chucks, unless City or Real or Barca throws just too much money at the wall. And everyone knows how much I love Holland. I talk about it every episode. Um, and outside of that, I want to move on, though, to a transfer you want to happen. Now, this is one that either for your team or for another team you want to happen. Obviously, we discussed Adiemi, Vlahovic, amongst others. Um, what is a guy, and I'll start with you, Arjun, that you want to see transfer-wise go through, not including the guys we've already listed? Um, well, uh, I'll go with an Arsenal one. Um, we've already discussed the striker options there, but I think our other needs are at backup right back, and especially right now in the midfield. Um, our depth is a bit lacking there, and I think that time might be soon to move on from Granit Xhaka. And we've been, I've been saying that for so long, um, but he, he continues to, he continues to be consistently inconsistent and he continues to be the pillar in the midfield that he's so important to our squad, but I've said it time and time again, he's too important to our squad to be as inconsistent as he, as he can be. Um, and as boneheaded as he can be sometimes, um, I think a name that has been tossed around this window has been Bruno Gamares. And um, I, I think, you know, Fab Fabrizio Romano reported it that, you know, it's going to be an uphill battle for that move um, this uh, January at least. But I think that's a name I'd love to see at Arsenal um, to sort of shore up our midfield and put us that step forward. Um, obviously, I haven't seen many names thrown around for backup right back, and that's not too flashy anyway. So we'll let the Arsenal scouts figure that one out. But for now, I think the midfield and at the number nine, and especially a guy like Bruno Gamares um, has been tossed around um, as a name as well. Yeah. And I'll throw it on to you then, Anthony. One move you want to happen. It could be Spurs related. It could not be Spurs related. Uh, let's hear it because I have one afterwards, which is kind of open-ended one, but I want to hear what you think first. Oh, it's Adama Traore. Are you kidding? Uh, just love that man. Uh, would be fascinating as a right wing back for, for Spurs under Conte. Look, everybody talks about his end product and they joke around and look, that's a legitimate thing, but the amount of attention that he commands is impressive and fun and entertaining to watch. Every time he has the ball at his feet, you're like thrilled. Uh, and so as a fan, uh, I love Adama Traore to Spurs. I also wouldn't mind Frank Kessie from a more pragmatic and, you know, effective point of view, potentially, uh, whose contract is up at Milan in the summer and, is rumored to be moving Spurs are one of the front runners. There was an Indombele swap rumored, but I, I would go with, with Adama because I, I love soccer and he's amazing. Uh, and from a more tactical and practical point of view, probably Frank Kessie. Adama's for all right, man. Every time he gets it, electric. If, if the defender gets even too, a little bit too close, the ball is 10, 10 yards beyond the defender within half a second. And Adama Yeah, Shura's and gone. you go back and you watch the United win. I mean, his the attention that he commanded, and then he beats Shaw, and then he plays the ball in, and then it falls to Moutinho for the goal. I mean, the attention he commands alone 
uh, is worth quite a bit. And I want to see him in a team with other very good attackers and see, you know, if Son or Kane or Lucas Mora has way more space now because Adama has the left wing back or the left back pinned and had, needs help from the wingers. And, and he's able to get a few good crosses in because there was a stretch at Wolves where, you know, him and Jimenez and, and, and uh, you know, pre Jota transfer where, the, where they were pretty effective. So it can be done. Uh, and I'm excited to watch it under a yeah. manager who lets him have some freedom. Yeah. Like that, that four of him, Jota Jimenez, and then Roland, uh, Ruben Neves behind him just terrorized teams. That's why everyone yeah. was so high on Wolves for years is because those four combined just did wondrous things for that team. Um, and obviously I wouldn't like to see him at Spurs personally um, if I had, if I had my way. Uh, but the one I want to bring up is open-ended, but obviously city sold Ferran Torres for uh, 50-ish million. Um, I want to know who they're going to bring in instead. Cause obviously, as we know, Whenever they sell somebody, they bring in seven guys worth triple the price. Um, is the person they bring in or players, do they bring in Erling Holland? Because obviously, as we very well know at this point, they don't have a number nine. I love Gabriel Jesus. He's not it. Um, I just wonder who they're going to bring in instead of, obviously, Ferran Torres now being gone. And this is kind of a weird one because Man City, in terms of links, obviously, as I said, Erling Holland is kind of the major one that has been discussed. But again, do they want to throw a billion dollars at him? Um, or do they try and go for someone else? Obviously, Harry Kane was the rumor forever. And that I honestly don't think is going to happen. Uh, if it was going to happen, it would have happened already. Um, or do they go and try and find someone else that's out there that we're not discussing? I don't know. But that's kind of the major one for me that I'm like, they're going to bring somebody in. Who's it going to be? They never go in without bringing in someone 50 million or more. So who's it going to be this time? Who's going to help them up front? Because obviously they got Kai Kai already, who's the young Brazilian who's going to play at some point, who's just dynamite. Um, And one last move I want to discuss before we get on to North London Derby stuff is Philippe Coutinho to Aston Villa. Uh, This is a move that, I honestly don't think it's been discussed as much as I thought it would. Um, Coutinho obviously uh, was at the peak of football in 2017 uh, with Liverpool before his move to Barcelona. Uh, He was at the top. It felt like he was just unbeatable. He was one of the best attacking midfielders. He was young with him, Salah, Mane, Firmino. They looked awesome. And now he's the last few years. His best accomplishment at Barcelona was being a Bayern player beating Barcelona in the Champions League. I don't know how I feel about it. This move, personally, from a Villa perspective, is great because he fills the hole that Jack Grealish left because I'm sorry, but Emmy Buendia has not been good. And uh, McGinn is not the number the same as Coutinho is or Grealish was. So I love the move. I'm just weirded out that no one bigger than Villa came to get him. Um, but what are both of your thoughts on it, how it could turn out and what it could do, at least, at least for Coutinho's career. Yeah. For the, for discussing the, the city striker rumors first, I think, I don't know that they make a move in January is the thing, because I think they've got, they've got Gabriel Jesus and they've got Foden that can play that false nine. And he did it last year pretty effectively too. And city, if you look at their, I mean, I, I think, 
I don't think the Premier League is just quite wrapped up, but it's pretty close. And I think um, where they where they're at in the Champions League, I think is their main aim to to sort of shore up and, and try and try and climb that hurdle this this year. Um, but obviously, the number nine is their biggest need, and I think they're going to be all in for Holland. I think it's going to be a bidding war between them and Real. And with the Real rumors that they want to bring in both Holland and Mbappe, it'll be really interesting, the race for, for Erling Holland this summer. Pivoting, pivoting to Villa, I think the Coutinho deal, Arsenal was obviously an, a, a club that was mentioned for in, in talks with Coutinho. Um, it was briefly mentioned to swap Coutinho for Aubameyang. I didn't really want Coutinho. I don't think he fills a need that we have. Um, but his form after he left Liverpool is leaves a lot to be desired. And I think we'll have to see how he adjusts back to the Premier League. Obviously he's playing under Gerrard, which could be really interesting. Um, but I'm not sure. I'm not sold on it. I don't think, I'm not sure how much it does. And I don't think that's what, I think that's why it's not being discussed as much. Um, another Villa transfer that, that we can talk about also that was just completed is Luca Digne from Everton. Um, and that's, that's one that was sort of in the cards um, Everton losing one of their better players. Um, so Villa, obviously very um, active in the transfer market last summer and now going into this January too. So those moves, I think, shore up their left side. Um, Villa, obviously, I think have underperformed a lot this year. I, I predicted them to do a little bit better than they have been so far. Um, but I think these moves will help a little bit, but I think the Coutinho one less so than, than Digne. Yeah, I'll say uh, as far as the City Holland thing goes, I am less sold on the Holland to City fit. Uh, obviously, it's Erling Holland. He's very good. Like Kyle said, you could say you could sing the praise of the man who has dominated Germany and and dominated in the Champions League and had the most goals in the league uh, in the competition last year. But in terms of off the ball, he doesn't do a lot of defensive work. Doesn't do a lot of pressing. Don't love that in the Pep system. And he doesn't do a lot of hold-up play, a lot of uh, passing. So when you look at the, the prototypical pep striker, he doesn't really fit that bill. He's more of a everybody else does stuff and then plays Holland in, and then he does some more cool stuff, and then he shoots and scores a lot. So I, I think the dynamic of the team would be interesting. Now, that being said, Pep's you know a, a master uh, of the game, and he'll, he understands uh, you know how – to fit him. I'm sure they can make it work with the talent, but I don't think it's quite a plug and play. I, I agree. They're not making a move in January. They're pretty set. Uh, and in terms of Coutinho to Villa, I'm also less sold on that. I mean, it's Felipe Coutinho's last stand, I guess. Right. But, you know, he was in systems that were very well set up for him to have the ball in certain areas of the pitch to make magic happen. And when that wasn't the case, it was unclear what he really added to the team. Liverpool got better when they got rid of him. Uh, and, you know, doesn't do a lot of defensive work, which is kind of a interesting thing in a Gerrard team where he has made significant and noticeable lineup changes to prioritize players who will do defensive work instead. So I'm not sure. I do like Lupidinha, though. He's a little older, but uh, in terms of his production from left back, he's excellent at crossing, excellent uh, at ball progression. So him in there with Ings and Watkins, I think it's a good good little, uh, you know, avenue for Villa to score some more goals. So I, I do like the Dina signing. Obviously, Coutinho is low risk, so you can't really knock it. Uh, but I'm not sure he's going to make this, this seismic impact into a pretty mid-table team. And that'll 
wrap it up a little bit for our for our transfer discussion. But but the reason we got Anthony on is to talk about the North London Derby. Arsenal playing Tottenham on the 16th of January. This game is going to be at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. The second fixture um, between these two clubs in the Premier League this year, Arsenal obviously won the first one in dominant fashion. But the teams have changed a lot since then. Tottenham have got a new manager. Um, Arsenal have hit their stride. And Tottenham have also hit their stride um, a little bit. So it's going to be a very different match. It's going to be um, a lot to talk about. But I think the best place to start before we get into our game analysis preview prediction is going to be what we did last time. We did a North London Derby special, which is a combined 11. The teams have changed a lot since we did this last um, especially from the Arsenal perspective. So I'm interested to see how, how the combined 11s have changed. Um, and I think we can just start, we can just go position by position and everyone give their two cents. So we'll start at, um, at the back with the goalkeeper and we'll, we'll start with you, Kyle. So it's not going to be uh, at least, uh, it's not going to be a surprise who I pick a goalkeeper. Aaron Ramsdale, I mean, I have been saying he's the best keeper in the Prem, or at least up there, top somewhere with him, Mendy, Allison, Ederson, that kind of range. Uh, I love Loris. I love him. Uh, Ramsdale. I don't think that's that shouldn't at least be a debate in my head. Um, but Anthony, uh, what what do you think about that? I could not disagree more. Um, look, I like Aaron Ramsdale. I think a lot of people were wrong on him, myself included. He's overperformed expectations. Uh, but I also think he has made a lot of kind of like the big moment saves that everybody has tended to remember when Arsenal were getting played off the park. But over the course of the season and over the course of the last two years, three years, uh, nobody has saved more goals relative to uh, post-shot expected than Hugo Lloris. He's the best shot stopper in the Prem. You could make claims that Ramsdale's better with his feet. That's very true. Uh, but my guy, Hugo, uh, for sure, uh, still taking him as the best shot stopper in the league. Only only Jose Sa and um, Mendy and De Gea have saved more goals this year than him. So I'm taking Larice. I'm actually going to agree with Anthony here. Um, I think Aaron Ramsdale, Kyle. I see where you. I see your face there. But but I mean Aaron Ramsdale, love him. I was absolutely also wrong on him. I mean I, I graded our transfer window. Um, a grade lower than it would have been if we didn't sign Ramsdale. And I think I was a little presumptuous with that. He's been fantastic. But I think what we have with Larissa's um, consistency and longevity, uh, he's done it for longer. Um, I think I'm not really going off of form. I'm just going off of, um, you know, who, who I think would just be the better player in the squad. So I think Lloris has his place in there, and I think Ramsdale will be up there very soon, but he's done it for half a season, and I have no doubt he'll continue to do it, but he has to prove that to us first. Okay, well, that was, that was, that was fun. Uh, Torching Kyle is great. Um, and we'll move on now to left back. I know last time we had this discussion, uh, it was quite contentious. I believe we had Oscar on. Uh, Oscar off from there to discuss that. Um, but I'll start with you, Anthony left back position. I feel like it's a little bit less contentious currently because of how injuries have played out. And obviously these both left backs in terms of Regulon and Tierney have been great where they've played, but I will open this up with you. Yeah. I, I like Sergio Regulon a lot too, uh, but I would go with Kieran Tierney here. Uh, I like Tierney even more. 
there was a point last year before Saka and Smith Rowe kind of emerged uh, and Martinelli was injured where like the only difference maker in the whole team felt like Kieran Tierney. Uh, and so I think Tierney has been solid. Yes. He's had his injury issues. There was a, there was a, a, a Nuno Tavares movement briefly. I think that's since ended, but Tierney is a very good left back. He can play as a, in a three or in a four uh, as a wing back. He gets the ball up the field. He's a good crosser, uh, more consistent, I think, than Regulon. So I'll, I'll go Kieran Tierney there. Yeah, I'm going to agree with that. Um, Kieran Tierney is uh, one of my favorite players in this Arsenal squad, and he has been ever since he signed. Um, you said he can play in a three or a four. He can play um, at the wing back in a three at the back or a five at the back. He can play in the back three. He's done it for Scotland. Um, he's extremely versatile. He's a really, really good defender. And he's also the best crosser this team has too. Um, so I'm going to say Kieran Tierney. Kieran Tierney, let's make it, uh, let's make it a triple. Uh, I'll take Tierney as well. Uh, as you said, Anthony, he was the best player in our team. He was the only player on our team who was doing anything of any note uh, until uh, Saka and Smith Rowe emerged from the shadows. Um, so give me Kieran Tierney at left back. Uh, moving over to the other wing, though, before I do the center backs, right back. Um, I will start with you, Arjun. Give me your right back of choice. Uh, Tommy Asu. I mean, he has been incredible. He's arguably been our best player since, since he signed. Um, he is a brick wall at the back. Um, and the signing, I, he's, I think he's the best signing that we made this summer. Um, he fills a role that, that we needed really badly. I mean, the amount of rants we had about Hector Bellerin last year were, were um, going into the double digits, I think, Kyle. And I think Tomiyasu just, he's so reliable. He's so solid that we don't need to have that worry anymore. Obviously the backup is Cedric and he's terrible. So I think that um, when Tomiyasu is not in the team, you can see how much of a difference there is. So I'm going to say Takahiro Tomiyasu. I'll agree. I'll agree on that. Uh, I think both wingbacks right back, like they fit the team. Well, Tomiyasu is a good passer. Royale does a good job getting up and down the wing more. Uh, I think they do different things, but if I'm picking one player who I think is just the better player and we took out kind of the tactics, uh, I would definitely go with Tomiyasu. I wanted Spurs to sign him in the summer, was disappointed they didn't. There was some weird back and forth that was going on between Paratici and Bologna, uh, but good signing for the Gunners for sure. The one guy I, I also was, was relatively high on coming into the season, and so I would go with Tomiyasu. Yeah, I'll round out with Tomiyasu as well. And as you said, over the summer, both right backs were linked with each club. That's something we were linked with Emerson, Royale, and Tomiyasu, and same with Spurs. I honestly don't think either of them uh, missed on the signings. I think Emerson's is good for Spurs. Tomiyasu, as you said, has been great for Arsenal. He's probably been our best signing of the window. And as Arjun said, has been one of our best players so far this season. Um, and now moving over to center back. Uh, this is a bit of a, a strange spot because obviously – there's been a lot of rotation in the teams uh, and there's certain players who have played a lot better than others. Um, so I'll start off with one of my center backs or actually I'll just do my pair may as well. Uh, firstly, Gabriel for Arsenal. I, he has been lights out. Um, I believe he's played better than Ben White. Um, Gabriel, we saw it last year when he played alongside holding or whoever else was playing back there. He was just so talented and so good at what he does. And I got to put him first in the team. Second, 
I'm going to say Christian Romero. From what I've seen, he's played really well. He's obviously hurt currently. Um, but I, I'll put him in. Ben White, the start to the season was really weird from him. And he's had some moments where I've been a bit questioning, but he's overall been really good. But I give me Romero um, and Gabrielle as a partnership at the back. Yeah, I, I will go, you know, if we're taking injuries out of this, I will agree with you. I'll take Romero and Gabrielle. Um, given the injury situation, if, if we're only saying who's available for Sunday, uh, I would go Romero and Ben White. Ben White is a guy I wanted Spurs to sign uh, as a center back in the offseason. We didn't. Uh, but he is excellent with the ball at his feet. I think that's the one skill he really brings to a, a good passing team like Arsenal is, a team that likes to have the ball. Uh, and now that Conte is kind of looking for that, you know, it's like, oh, man, if only we had Conte in the summer. Anyway, uh, I digress. Uh, I would take Gabriel and Ben White. But, yeah, shout out to Romero. Very aggressive defender. Good defender. Fits the Conte system well. Uh, excited to see him get a run of games. He should be back in a week or so with that. Uh, yeah, I'm going to agree with Kyle. I'm going to go uh, Gabrielle and Romero. Gabrielle's been really solid. The back, the the center back pairing of Gabrielle and Ben White has been stellar. They've been really solid together. But I think um, Gabrielle has been the more solid of them. Obviously, everything Anthony said about um, his ball progression, the ball at his feet has been true as well. Um, but I think Christian Romero has been a, a good signing for Spurs as well. And I think that he is a better defending center back than Ben White is. Um, ben White has had a couple mistakes here and there, um, especially that first game against Brentford, Ben White put in a disaster class. It was a really bad game from him, but obviously he's recovered since then, made a couple errors at, uh, at United. Um, but I think Gabrielle has been rock solid. And I think Christian Romero is a very talented center back for Spurs as well. Uh, so that'll round out the defense. And we'll go to the midfield. We're doing a 4-3-3, so we're just doing a three-man midfield. Um, so uh, we can just say all three midfielders and, and go from there, I think. So we'll start with you, Kyle. Oh, boy. Um, I'll go one at a time uh, because this is – our midfielders obviously play different systems, so it's very kind of tough to figure out who goes where. Um, for me – uh, personally, I don't think Partey and Xhaka should get in this, so I'm not even going to consider them. Uh, Partey's had one game where he's played well. Xhaka is obviously Granit Xhaka. Um, so I'll firstly put in Pierre-Emil Hoiberg, um, played really well last year um, and has been a strong player. He's obviously been great. He played for Southampton before this as well. He was good. So I'll chuck him in there. Um, I will also add in Martin Odegaard, into the mid for this midfield, it's not going to make sense to anybody. Um, give me Martin Odegaard, though, uh, kind of as that cam, but this is a, obviously a fictional midfield. So Odegaard, and then lastly for me is Smith Rowe. I just, I it was between him and Skip. Skip has played well, um, but I just can't leave out. If I if it was a coin toss, give me Smith Rowe. Um, Odegaard has played amazingly, so has Smith Rowe, and so has Hoiberg. Um, Skip is the other one I would consider, but those three for me are my midfield trio. And again, this midfield makes absolutely no sense from a tactic standpoint, but that doesn't matter. I don't think it's terrible tactically. I, I agree with you on Hoybier. Uh, I think he's a very conservative passer. He's safe with the ball, solid defensive midfielder. Uh, I think Skip is also relatively safe with the ball. And then Odegaard's kind of your chance taker passer. They don't have anybody who can really dribble, which isn't great. Uh, but the three of them aren't terrible. And that would be my three. 
Uh, I like Smith Rowe, but I, I think Odegaard's better. And I think you can't, you can play them together, but for the sake of the midfield working, I'm going to put Skip in there too. So I go Skip, Hoybier, uh, and Odegaard, who is probably my favorite Arsenal player. If I had to pick one. Yeah, I, I'm going to go with the same three as Kyle again. Um, Hoiberg is, um, I think, the best um, defensive midfielder that e- either of these teams have. Um, Thomas Partey, I think, has yet to put in his most consistent performances with Arsenal. I mean, the, the match he played against City was incredible. And he put in his best performances in Arsenal shirt right before he had to leave for AFCON. So um, a little bit unfortunate on that. We hope he recovers the form when he's he's back from that tournament. Um, but I think Hoiberg is more reliable, was incredible with Denmark in the Euros. Um, and he's carried that over into um, into this season as well for Spurs. Um, and with Smith-Rowe and Odegaard, I think um, Arteta, I think his end game is to play these two together as number eights. And, and we've talked about this, Kyle, um, that, you know, Martinelli and Saka on the wings, the true number nine, and Smith-Rowe and Odegaard working together as the number eight. Smith-Rowe is incredible on the ball. Um, he has fantastic acceleration with the ball at his feet, and he has excelled as a finisher as well this year. He's been very good in that department. Um, I, I think the midfield is a little weird as well, but I, I think Odegaard is also one of my favorite Arsenal players. I'm so happy we signed him. There were so many people in the Arsenal fan base that were that were – um, saying Odegaard is um, like a, a mid player and sort of not cut out to be an Arsenal player, especially since he was quote unquote dumped by Real, but he has been really, really good. Um, and he, it shows why he was one of the most touted youngsters in the world at one point. And he's now back into that level. So Smithrow, Odegaard and Hoiberg is my midfield. Strong midfields all around, I think is kind of what we're saying. Um, and then moving up front, uh, this is again where it gets weird, um, but I'll start with you, Anthony. Give me kind of your front three because obviously I think we kind of agreed ahead of time. Certain players may not play in the right positions, but I don't think it matters in terms of because some players have been playing lights out this season. So give me your front three to start. Well, I think two are easy. Uh, Kane and Son are, I know Kane has had a dip this year and his finishing's been bad and he had the bad run under, under Nuno at the beginning of the season. Uh, but you know, Harry Kane is still Harry Kane, uh, and he's starting to find that form again. He's looked he's looked fitter. He's getting more shots per ninety. He's still not finishing at the rate he usually does. But again, we we expect it to come back to normal. Uh, so Kane is the probably the first name on the team sheet if we're being honest. If we're doing this eleven still. Uh, Son is still Son. Same way. The fact that he's two footed means I'm going to cheat and put him at right wing uh, because he is he is quite good with his left and his right. Uh, just a great pace and power guy who can run at defenders, who can uh, create chances, who's had, I think, at least 10 goals, four straight years. Going to probably do that again this year. Uh, and then on the left wing, my guy Martinelli, who I know has been very divisive in the Arsenal circles for the last couple of years until this recent run. Uh, but his ability to get shots has really saved this Arsenal attack in a lot of ways because when you don't have a striker who's getting a lot of shots, you need a secondary guy who can who can get in the box and who can score goals and get shots. And he has been that while also pressing a lot and adding more defensively than say Pepe was on either end. So, or whoever they were playing before that. So I think uh, he's really, you know, there's a trend line up since Martinelli's gotten in the team. It's not just him, but he's definitely a part of it. 
So Martinelli plays on the left for me, and then Son on the right, and then, of course, Harry up top. So I think it's six Arsenal for me and five Spurs. Yeah, um, I'm going to go with the same uh, as you for, for the Tottenham standpoint. Son and Kane, everything you said applies. They're, they're, they're Harry Kane and Hume and Son. They're the first two players in this team. Um, I put Son on the left, Harry Kane at the number nine, and I'm putting Bukayo Saka at the right wing. Um, it was a tough choice between Saka and Martinelli, obviously. Um, but with the way Martinelli has played, he's he's been fantastic, and I'm so happy to see him get a run in the team, um, especially with um, Aubameyang not being in the team and, w- and with Pepe sort of being frozen out too. But Bukayo Saka is simply – and just – I don't have words for him because he I'm, I'm so happy he's an Arsenal player. And one thing that I said that he needed to work on was, was his finishing. And he has certainly done that. He he's able to, to finish at a higher rate at a more efficient rate um, while also bringing um, the crossing that he can while also running at defenders. He's so good on the ball as well, just like Smith Rowe. And he just brings so much dynamism to that team um, that I have to put him at right wing. But between him and Martinelli, it's a really tough choice. But obviously, Kane and Son are the two players that you that you put down first in this team. Yeah, I, I will round out by saying as well, Son and Kane, uh, one and two in the team sheet. Um, I'm going to agree with Anthony, though. Give me Martinelli uh, over Saka. This is, that's not a knock on Saka or anything. If anyone thinks that is, they're wrong. Gabriel Martinelli, uh, him and Erling Holland, as the podcast very much so knows, are my two players I will uh, give love to every day of the week if I could. Uh, I didn't understand why Martinelli wasn't getting games last season because he's so good, and he's finally getting games, and he's just dynamite on the left. As Anthony said, he creates shots when we don't have a striker who's doing it. Um, He has flashed multiple just wide in recent weeks. Um, At some point, he's going to bag more. He got his brace. Love that. Uh, I think at some point he will start hammering in the goals. I don't think he can play as a striker. I know a lot of Arsenal uh, fans want him to. He's not an out-and-out striker. He can't play there. Him on the wing is perfect for him. So leave him out there. Give me Gabriel Martinelli, Hyungman Son, and Harry Kane, because obviously we have no striker who has done anything this season. Um, Lacazette's looked good, but doesn't mean he's played well um, in terms of anything that is positive whatsoever. So it'll round out our combined 11. I believe I also had six Arsenal players and five Spurs players. Um, These teams are a lot more even uh, now than they were a month or two ago, I think, Um, especially with, um, with Nuno Espirito Santo getting sacked with Antonio Conte um, coming in and making his changes to the team. He's a world-class manager and a great addition for Spurs. So now we'll pivot to the game preview itself. Um, Anthony, if you could just give us your your thoughts on on where the Spurs team is at right now, what they need to do to defeat Arsenal, and um, who you think is going to be you know the key players for your side going into this one, and give me a game prediction as well. Yeah, I still have major questions about the Tottenham defense. They just conceded a set piece goal to uh, Chelsea as we're recording this, um, so I have some question marks about the defending. You know, when we did the combined eleven, there were four Arsenal starters in it for a reason, in my eleven at least, uh, and so the two games they played against you know, the elite opposition in this league, they've struggled under Conte, Liverpool and Chelsea uh, conceded well over one and a half expected goals in both of those games. With that being said, uh, since Antonio Conte was hired, 
Arsenal are averaging about 1.8 expected goals per 90, Spurs 1.9. That's third and fourth in the league. So we're dealing with two attacks that have had clear trend lines upward in the last couple of weeks, a uh, couple of months, really. The finishing has not been there for Spurs, though. They're only at about a goal and a half per 90, uh, as opposed to the, the XG closer to two. So you'd expect them to, to get some good regression there. It tends to even out in the long run. Who knows if it'll be Sunday, but uh, an Arsenal uh, has been finishing well above their numbers recently, as you can see with some of the crooked numbers they've hung up on some of the the, the bads of the Prem, like uh, Southampton and Willie Caballero and then Norwich. Uh, but Arsenal's defense away is a concern. Uh, they've conceded way more goals away from home than at home. Uh, they've been dominant at home. Seventh worst expected goals away or allowed away from home. Also pretty concerning. They're pressing more. Arsenal is uh, up to 12th. Since, our, since uh, November in pressing intensity, they were 20th in the three months, two and a half months prior to that. So those are some of the, the stats to know. Uh, just threw a bunch of numbers at the listeners. Hopefully you understood some of them. Uh, but uh, I think overall, this, this, this is going to be a pretty open game. I don't see this being a 1-0 type. Uh, I think it's going to be a 2-1 game. I think it's going to be 1-1 late with, with both teams kind of pushing for the winner because this is a very important match for deciding who's going to get top four, 538 has Arsenal at 36%, Spurs at 32. Uh, I have Spurs rated a little bit higher uh, than Arsenal and they're at home. So I, I do lean towards Spurs in terms of who's going to find that winning goal. But uh, like you mentioned, the, the two teams are pretty even right now by most metrics. Uh, my power ratings have them as the fourth and fifth best team in the league right now. And 538 has them as the fourth and fifth best team in the league with Arsenal slightly ahead. So it's a very even match, but I'm going to, I'm going to take the home team and I'm going to be a bit of a homer uh, and, and take uh, the Gunners to lose 2-1. We'll go late goal, Harry Kane, because he always scores against Arsenal, right? He does. Yeah. And, and Harry Kane is, is, um, has been so good in North London derbies as well. And every, everything you said, Anthony, you know, with the stats backing it up and um, these teams getting a, a lot more even in the, in the table, um, as we progress through the season, Tottenham still have two games in hand and they're only two points back of Arsenal. And you said this game is gargantuan for the top four race. Um, I think what we learned from Arsenal's FA Cup loss against Forest is that Arsenal's starting 11 can go toe to toe with the best of them, but the depth isn't, it isn't there. But for, for this game against Spurs, um, it's bookended by two matches in the Carabao Cup against Liverpool. Um, so squad rotation is going to be a big factor. I expect Arteta to put our best 11 out there against Spurs. And for that reason, I'm going to take Arsenal. I think our best 11 is better than Tottenham's best 11 right now. Obviously the game being, um, at Tottenham, it plays a role, but I think you saw the fire that Arsenal played with in, in that first North London Derby, the intensity they brought. And I think they'll be able to do the same. Um, obviously no Partey. Um, so I expect Lakonga and Jaka to be our pivot. Um, Partey obviously played in the, um, in the North London Derby away last year and got hurt in the middle of it. And Arsenal ended up losing that game. So, you know, it, it, it's, it's a tough one. I think Arsenal will take this one two one. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised. Like you said, if it's a really open game, if it ends in a two, two, three, three, even draw, um, but these teams are very, very even. Um, but for once, I'm going to be optimistic about Arsenal, and I'm going to take us 2-1. Argentina's 2-1. For those who remember that Partey injury, by the way, it was maybe the wildest thing I've ever seen 
Uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he walked off the pitch before mid counter, mid counter, as Sam was going forward, and everyone just saw it happening, and we were like, "Huh?" Uh, he just kind of walked off, uh, which you know, great thing to do. Uh, and they ended up scoring off of it, which was so much fun. Um, glorious, I, game. glorious game. That was the peak of the Jose ball. You know, Tottenham uh, had just beaten City. Uh, they had had played Chelsea tight. Uh, I think there was a there was a draw with Chelsea. They beat City and they whooped Arsenal. Uh, in the second half, when Arsenal had like eighty five percent of the ball and then had like four shots total and never came close to scoring, that was just. That was peak Jose Ball, and then it all came crumbling down as it does. Yeah, it all came crumbling down, and then he took uh, Ainsley Maitland-Niles all the way from us, uh, along with Tammy Abraham, uh, on his way to AS Roma. Tammy's having a good year. Don't don't hate on Tammy's. Him. Tammy's yeah. having a good year, but that's a good player. Roma uh, last week they had a a worldy of a collapse. I believe is what uh, it could be classified as uh, losing four three after being up three 0 I think. Um, in Ainsley Manalis' first match with Roma, uh, where he was chucked into the, the starting 11 after about 24 hours of being in the team. Um, I will wrap up the uh, Arsenal Spurs uh, predictions. You both said 2-1 for respective sides. I'm going 2-2. I'm feeling a good draw. Um, my comparison to this game is going to be the Chelsea-Liverpool match. I don't think we're going to play as well as that first half was for either team. But I think we're going to get a step below that for the entire match. I think it's 2-2. I think Kane's going to get a goal. He just always does, as we know. Um, I think we get a worldie from Xhaka because um, he does. He has done nothing for us this season. And we will get a, a worldie of either a free kick or uh, outside-the-box screamer, just something absurd. Because, um, I mean, as we saw, Switzerland against France – interesting uh it's all i'll put in there uh for those who watched uh this summer at the euros was lovely um but give me a 2-2 draw give me a Kane goal a Jaka goal and then uh either son for spurs possibly and maybe a uh a random gabrielle header who knows um and i will final thoughts i'll turn to you anthony final thoughts on the match anything else you're looking out for during it uh, a player you want to watch or just overall thoughts? Yeah, I think the most interesting thing is how well uh, or who dominates kind of the possession, because I think Spurs are at home. Uh, they may be willing to cede some possession to Arsenal in hopes of hitting them on the counter. I think that's a potential avenue of attack for sure. Uh, that will be interesting to watch. Also, in terms of the, the the difference in formations, always makes for an interesting situation. How much are Martinelli and say Saka going to track back when Spurs have the ball to help worry about the wingbacks? Because there, there's a potential for some overload situations uh, in the in the wide areas for Tottenham, especially on the counter, which is really where they killed Liverpool when they when they thrashed them. It was a two-two draw, but. Spurs had about three and a half expected goals. They should have won the game. Uh, it was really the wide areas that Son and Kane were able to get into and then create overlaps with Emerson and Regulon. So I think that's the most interesting thing is in the middle of the park, how much does Arsenal control it? But then when they lose control, those wings are going to be a dangerous area for Spurs to counter. I, I totally agree. I think Spurs are going to, are going to try and hit us on the counter, especially seeing how, how Forrest were able to do that. 
obviously the back four is going to be different. It's going to be our strongest back four um, with, with Tierney, Gabrielle White, and Tomiyasu. I said it all year that Arsenal, this back four, can defend against the counter if we can get numbers forward. That we weren't really getting numbers forward. Tomiyasu didn't need to make those overlapping runs. Tierney was sitting back a little more than he usually does. Um, but I, I think that if Arsenal end up getting the first goal, that we can't continue to be conservative like we have been after getting that first goal. Because um, when we start putting numbers back is when Kane and Son can get into those wide areas and start working away at that defense. Our back four is good enough to defend against that counter. And, and if Arsenal end up scoring the first goal, which I think will be the key, the even bigger key will Arsenal getting the second goal. Because uh, we've seen Arteta in, in, in recent weeks start to be more aggressive a goal up, which is great signs from him. But um, last time we played, I think a big six team was, was at United and we scored first and we, we just completely let up. And we haven't played a, a big six team since then. And now Tottenham is our is the next matchup in the Premier League. We play Liverpool, obviously, um, tomorrow. So that'll be a different dynamic. But I think the key for Arsenal is getting the first and, and then um, topping that up with a second. Um, so I think that'll round up our, our transfer North London Derby special. Before we sign off, Anthony, shout yourself out again. Let us know where we can find you on Twitter, your podcasts, your writing, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, so I write about soccer for the Action Network, uh, actionnetwork.com. We do game previews, weekend recaps and previews. Uh, We focus on mostly Europe. We have a guy who does MLS, but I focus on mostly Europe. Uh, We also have a podcast that goes out twice a week, Wonder Goal, where we preview every game on the Premier League slate, and then we touch on key games across the rest of the continent. Uh, And so you can find me on Twitter, at Anthony DeBundo, tweeting takes regarding analytics and other musings about soccer and college sports and pro football, whatever. Uh, But that's where you can find me. And again, Anthony, thank you so much for joining us. Um, This was episode 60, part two of the Going, Going Gooner podcast. For Kyle, for Anthony, I'm Arjun, and we're signing out. Thank you for listening.